Good morning. Um, so I think it was probably the last time that I spoke, I said how usually when I'm preparing, God gives me like a, a word or a phrase or something specific, like a title that I can work around. Um, but this time that wasn't so much the case. So I now understand Neil's struggle sometimes when it comes up, uh, to coming up with a title. But just as we were worshipping this morning um, and as you were sharing your story and your journey, um, I just, the phrase that I couldn't escape was in the waiting. Um, and yeah, so this morning we're going to journey through in the waiting together. And it's funny because, you know, I had to wait to get that title. So <laughs> God has a sense of humor. But I'm just going to start by reading uh, John 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light, so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor human decision, nor a husband's will, but born of God. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son, who came from the father, full of grace and truth. So last Sunday I was on rock, so I wasn't in for the sermon. And so during the week I was uh, listening to, to the last week's sermon in the car and it got me thinking of the series that we've been working through so far of ordinary people. And I've really enjoyed just this new perspective, I guess, on some of the stories from the Bible that we may be quite familiar with or some of the situations that we are fairly familiar with, but from the perspective of knowing that they were ordinary people. And it's refreshing, actually, isn't it, to think that these people who we, in some respects, idolize, we see these people in the Bible, they are maybe put up even on a bit of a pedestal because they're in the Bible. Um, they, they achieved incredible things and saw miraculous signs and wonders, but actually, they were just ordinary people like you and me. But then I started to think about the implications of that. And as we've journeyed through this series, um, hopefully you've, you've discovered this as well, but if, that, if they were just ordinary people, and we are just ordinary people, then all of a sudden the things that we use to excuse ourselves are no longer valid. The excuse of not being smart enough, not being quick enough, not being clever enough, not being whatever enough actually is no longer valid. Because if they were just ordinary people living their ordinary lives, then what is our excuse? And I'm sure the same as me, you can come up with plenty of reasons why you shouldn't do something. Even when I was preparing for this morning, uh, it always goes through your head, you know, oh, well, there's other people who can speak better, or there's other people who have a better knowledge of the Bible, or there's other people who dot, dot, dot. But at the same time, 
when God has given you a gift or when God has given you a calling or when God asks you to do something, it's so easy to, to say that there's other people better, but he has chosen you. And as we've been unraveling these ordinary people, we can't help but see that they were just ordinary people living their ordinary lives and following what God called them to do. And so if we take the truth of that to heart, if we realize that we are just ordinary people, they were just ordinary people, and we're all just ordinary people together, living ordinary lives that have moments of excitement, moments of extraordinary, but mostly it's a lot of mundane, a lot of ordinary, a lot of nine to five work, a lot of getting up, making the bed, making breakfast, going to work, coming home, having dinner, going to bed, repeat, repeat and repeat and repeat. But if we realize that God is in both the extraordinary and the ordinary, in those mundane and slightly more exciting moments, if we realize that God is filling each and every second of our lives, we'll see like the people like Elijah that we've been studying, we'll realize the value of each moment of our lives and our eating, our sleeping, our driving, how every moment holds an opportunity. So this morning we're going to look at the journey of two people in the Bible. Two people who... Sometimes I have found myself maybe overlooking in the greater scheme of their story. We're told very little of their past. And up until the point of the, the story that we begin, there's not a whole lot set, more said about them. They were just ordinary people living their lives. And like many of the people we've followed in the journey of this series, they didn't seek to be anything other than ordinary. And yet in their ordinariness, in being themselves, in knowing who they belong to, in living their ordinary everyday lives, their impact on the world around them would be extraordinary. Their story is one that will be familiar to many of us. And I know for me, sometimes that causes me to skim it over or to not pay so much attention because I already know what it's going to say. I already know what happens next. And it's actually one of the things that I really enjoy about doing the kids ministry, about doing rock, is that it makes you look a little bit more into the story because you never know what sort of questions you're going to get asked. <laughs> um, sometimes they come up with some uh, impressive questions that I uh, have to come back to them on. But it does, it go it's good because it pushes you to think beyond what you know about a story already, especially when you're teaching the children because often you teach similar stories and the ones that everyone is really familiar with. But actually God is always waiting to speak to us afresh. And so um, I'm just going to, before I read the story, I'm going to pray. And maybe you need to ask God as well to, just open your heart afresh to know um, that he can speak afresh to us this morning and that he has fresh truth to give us this morning. So Father, we thank you for your word. God, help us to honor it and value it afresh this morning as we open it, God, and we seek your truth and what you want to share with us this morning. Help us to have fresh eyes and fresh hearts to hear what it is that you want to share. God, we thank you for this time and we just ask your blessing to be over it in Jesus' name. So I'm just reading from Matthew 2. So it says from chapter, or sorry, from verse 18. Um, this is how Jesus the Messiah was born. His mother Mary was engaged to, him, to be married to a man called Joseph. But before the marriage took place, while she was still a virgin, she became pregnant through the power of the Holy Spirit. Joseph, to whom she was engaged, was a righteous man and did not want to disgrace her publicly. So he decided to break the engagement quietly. As he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. Joseph, son of David, the angel said, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, 
For the child within her was conceived by the Holy Spirit, and she will have a son, and you are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All of this occurred to fulfill the Lord's message through the prophet. Look, a virgin will conceive a child, she will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. They will call him Emmanuel, God with us. Luke says in his gospel, you will conceive and give birth to a son and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the son of the most high. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. Through an ordinary woman who found favor in the eyes of God, Jesus was born. The word would become flesh and make his dwelling among us. Jesus made his dwelling among us. God with us. Jesus came to earth so that we would know God, that we would know and experience God with us. He came so that he could reveal the Father to his children throughout the world. He came so that we would know what true love is. Jesus came so that we would know and belong to his family. Yet for many people, both those who know God and those who don't, this time of year when we celebrate Jesus coming to earth, when we come together to celebrate, for many of us, we feel more unloved, more unvalued, and more like we don't belong than at any other time of the year. But Jesus came so that we would know God with us, that we would know we are loved, that we would know that we belong, that we would know we have value. So where's the disconnect? especially for those of us in church, what is not connecting? Now there's an element, I suppose, that comes from our human nature, our struggle with sin and our natural um, doubting personalities. But is there more to it? I found there's a difference between knowing and believing. And as I began to think about my own life and my journey and what stopped me taking hold of my ordinary life and finding God in those ordinary everyday moments, Sometimes I find it hard when I'm in moments where I'm being pushed out of what feels, feels comfortable. I begin to doubt who God says he is because I um, don't feel comfortable with what he's asking me to do. But it almost always comes down to me doubting my identity, to doubting who he says I am and who he's called me to be. I, don't, I suppose I haven't often thought about it this way, but the way we think about ourselves and the way we talk about ourselves reveals a lot about our understanding of who the Father says we are. It reveals a lot about who we believe he is and who we understand ourselves to be because of that. And so when we speak about ourselves in certain ways, we're revealing who the Heavenly Father is to those around us for good or for, for worse. And without even realizing it, we may actually be placing doubt in other people's minds over who God is because of how we talk about ourselves. And there's an argument certainly that in Northern Ireland and certain parts of the world that we have this um, culture of self-deprecation and that we shouldn't push beyond our means, we shouldn't go past what, or we shouldn't poke our head above the crowds. And we're good at the self-deprecating humour and we're good at distracting from compliments by bringing a negative into it just to, to sweep over the embarrassment of someone saying something nice to you. And it is definitely a part of our culture. But now that we're aware of it and now that we know about it, actually, is it still a valid excuse? 
Because when we identify things like that in our lives that we use to excuse ourselves from doing what God has called us to do, we then have a responsibility to deal with it. Because actually what we're doing is really dangerous. We're allowing our own minds, our brains, to challenge what we know about our our identity and to challenge who the Father says that we are. Now, I don't claim to be an expert in the brain or in neuroscience or anything like that, but there's a woman called Dr. Caroline Leaf who is a neuroscientist, and she has a podcast where she talks a lot about the brain and the mind and the connection between all of that and spirituality or Christianity. Um, And one of the things that she says studies have proven is that we actually have the power to rewire our brain, our thoughts. So our mind is like our spiritual self and the brain is the physical self in the way that she talks about it. And so we have the power with our mind to rewire our physical brain. So the power of your thoughts is massive. And actually they reckon, studies have shown, that we have the power to influence our physical and our mental health by a factor of up to 75%. She goes on to say that we have the power of choice as we choose to influence how we function. So we have the choice to choose which thoughts we are going to allow to give and give power to, which thoughts need to be challenged, which thoughts need to change, and which thoughts we just need to call out as absolute lies. Our thought lives play such a big part in our perspective of the world, how we see ourselves, how we see those around us. Romans 12 says, do not conform to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test what, test and approve what God's will is in his good and pleasing perfect will. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. This means that we can't allow thoughts or our mind to be dictated to by our culture, by our upbringing and by our circumstances, by the fact that we've always been this way. Because we have no control over those outside factors, but we do have a control over how we respond, how we think about situations. Romans doesn't say be transformed by physical exercise or physical trying or doing anything or eating a certain way, although that's good. But Paul says be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So how do we do that? We realize that Jesus came to dwell among us. He sent the Holy Spirit to dwell within us. Each time we take captive of an unhealthy thought, every time that we call out the lies that we think about ourselves and respond by declaring who God is, we transform our minds. Every time that we think we're not good enough or that there's someone better qualified to do what God is calling you to do, but respond by doing it anyway, respond with obedience, we transform our minds. Now, we don't hear too much about Mary and Joseph in in the waiting periods, but I wonder if they had to do this. After all, they were ordinary people like us. I wonder, did they have moments of fear or doubt? Or times where they had to remind each other of what the angel spoke to them, of who they are and who they had been called to be and the task that they had been called to carry. Each time we do something, each time we change our response, our minds are gradually transformed. And our identity becomes that bit more secure. With each transformation, we are able to stand on the truth of our identity until it becomes more like a default response than a choice. Jesus came to dwell among us. Emmanuel, God with us. As we journey through this Advent season, this season of waiting, 
I don't know about you, but waiting is a time where generally I find myself feeling more vulnerable than usual. When we read the story of Jesus' birth, it can be easy to forget how much time has actually passed during what we've read. We have the benefit of just being able to flick over a page or skim down a little bit to know what happens next. But when it was happening for those people, like many stories in the Bible, there's times where actually us turning a page is actually maybe 10 years later or 20 years later, or even, even a few hours, which sometimes seems like a year in certain situations. We're able to turn the page and find out what happens next. But for these people, they're waiting on their answer. They're waiting to find out what's going to happen next. And I find myself thinking about Mary and Joseph, these two ordinary people who found themselves in this extraordinary situation. I wonder how they found that waiting period. I wonder what it was like for Joseph while he waited between hearing the news of Mary's pregnancy and the angel visiting him. Now, it doesn't tell us how long that period was, and I'm doing some reading between the lines, but in Matthew, it says he was an honorable man and did not want to disgrace her publicly, so he decided to divorce her or break the engagement quietly. Now, to me, that suggests he had a little bit of time to think about it. It wasn't an instant thing that he heard about Mary's pregnancy and then the angel came to him. And so I wonder what was going through his mind as he had time to mull over this, whether it was only an hour or whether it was a few days. Was he questioning God? Was he asking how this could have happened? Was he asking God for a solution? If he did, I doubt he expected the solution he was given. And then for Mary, she had to wait. She had to wait to hear what Joseph was going to do with the news. Would he divorce her? Would he still marry her? I wonder how she felt as she waited. And even then, after she knew she would stay, they would, they would be married, I wonder what it was like for them waiting until the birth of Jesus. Nine months is a long time. I wonder, did they struggle with doubts or with the opinions of the people around them? As I said before, I found in my life that waiting, generally in times of waiting, that is my most vulnerable. I'm at my most vulnerable. And especially when the answer is taking longer than I expected. Or sometimes even worse when I have the answer, but the fulfillment of that answer is taking far longer than I ever anticipated that it would. Doubts begin to creep in. Did you actually hear God? Did he actually say what I was so sure he said a few days ago? Maybe, maybe it's not happened yet because I'm not good enough. Maybe it's not happened because I'm not praying enough. Maybe it's not happened because I'm not. The truth is we don't know if Mary and Joseph had these struggles in their season of waiting, but they were ordinary people, just like you and just like me. And in those moments, we have the choice whether we allow the doubts that chip away at our identity to speak the loudest or to stand on the truth of what we know. It's funny actually when you look at your life and you think how much time you actually spend waiting, whether it's waiting in the queue at a supermarket or waiting in traffic or waiting to pick up your kids from school. Last weekend I was in a shop um, and it was a Saturday afternoon so it was a bad call to go in that time anyway because I was only going in for a few items and I knew it was going to be really busy but I had to, had to get them so I went into the shop and I gathered a few things and the queues were massive. So I joined, I did the, um, I don't know if anyone else does this, did the quick assessment to see which one I thought was going to be the quickest and quickly ran to that one and joined the queue. 
Anyway, and I was standing in the queue, waiting patiently, as, as good Brits do. We wait patiently in our line, and we move forward and move forward. And I was about one within, there was one person in front of me, and then it was going to be my turn to be served. Anyway, next thing, this, um, I felt someone sort of squeeze past behind me. And I thought, oh, well, a few things crossed my mind, but I thought I just sort of assumed that the person was either with the person in front of me or they were just trying to get out of the shop because they hadn't needed to get anything in the end or they didn't have what they needed. But then this little old lady squeezed in in front of me and just stood. Now, there was a moment where I looked and I thought, she's not, she's not just jumping in front of the queue, is she? <laughs> and then next thing, she, she just sort of turned and smiled at me and she was just like, just have a wee magazine, look, I've got the money ready too. And just then stood. <laughs> and on the inside, I, I had this little uh, battle going on in my head. There was a part of me that was like, who do you think you are? Like, like, there's, like ten, there's like five or six people behind me. Everyone's got, tr everyone's waiting. There's loads of queues here. Everyone's waiting their turn. And here you are just skiffing in front of the queue. Like, I only have three things here. I've waited my turn. Why do you just get to jump in with your one thing? Anyway, the other side of me was like, Christmas time it would be nice just smile just let her stay <laughs> and so thankfully that was the reaction that was <laughs> it was out of that thought that I responded and I just smiled let her into the queue made a little bit of small talk um, she, she did her transaction and I did mine and went on my day but actually it got me thinking a little bit and sometimes that is a picture of what it's like when we're waiting for answers we stand and we wait and we pray and we do all the things that we think we're supposed to do while we're waiting and see things sometimes things seem to move a little bit quicker and then it seems to slow down and then you think oh I should have gone in that queue I should have done that what they're doing over there because that one's moving faster than I thought it would and then you get those people who are like just prayed once and you got that <laughs> you maybe don't see their full journey but you like you th that person gets the healing or that person gets the answer or that person gets the job that you were looking for or whatever it is Sometimes in those moments, in those moments of waiting, it's so easy to look at the people around us and think, but God, <laughs> where's my answer? They're getting their answer. They just got to jump the queue with their one thing and they got to get in and get their answer and out like that. And I've been standing here for 20 minutes or however long waiting on my answer. But it's in those waiting seasons, in those moments where we feel most vulnerable, where we question whether we actually heard from God or we question whether we ever will hear from God about the situation. But what we need to remember is that our identity doesn't change in the waiting. Our being loved doesn't change in the waiting. Our value doesn't change in the waiting. And who God says he is doesn't change in the waiting. And our sense of belonging to his family doesn't change in the waiting. But if we don't continue with the renewing of our minds, continue feeding our minds with the truth of God's word and declaring the truth of who we are, then our perspective on those things begins to change. Jesus came to dwell among us, to reveal God with us, and that never changes. Because even though at times it might feel like we're alone in our waiting, God is with us. Whatever you're facing, God is with you. As a church, we are in a season of waiting, waiting for a home that we can call our own, waiting for a permanent place to be in the community. And there's the risk that we could begin to question, did we hear from God when we took this step to be here? 
But just like Mary and Joseph, they had their truth of what the angel spoke over them to cling on to. And we have the same. We have words that God has spoken over us as a church and as a family that we can cling to when we have doubts about our moving forward or where, we've, where we're going. And as a church, we have to guard ourselves against the thoughts of doubt and with um, the fears that can come with stepping into the unknown and guard ourselves by the transforming of our mind, trusting that God is with us, with us in the season of waiting and that he wants to use it to teach us something and to stretch us in ways that he can only do in this season. Because there's things that we can only learn in certain seasons. There's things that God can only teach us while we wait. And the challenge is that often we don't get to see the fruit of that until we're able to look back at it in hindsight. We don't get to see the fruit of the waiting until we're past that time of waiting. So while we navigate the waiting, the truth of who God says he is doesn't change. The truth of his word doesn't change. And the truth of who we are doesn't change. As we draw near to Christmas, near to the day where we celebrate Jesus coming to earth to dwell among us, we wait with expectation to celebrate Jesus coming to earth, to celebrate Jesus dwelling among us. And as we're more aware of Jesus coming to earth, celebrating Jesus' birth, we're also become more aware of his second coming when we are the day that we're waiting for his return, when he will come again and there will no longer be battles with doubts or insecurities or questioning our identity. Jesus came and made his dwelling among us. He came to earth so that we would know God and that we would experience God with us. He came so he could reveal the Father to his children throughout the world. Jesus came so that we would know and believe in him. Jesus came so that we would know and believe in his love. And Jesus came so that we would know and believe that we belong to his family. He came so that everyone could experience his love. And yet while we experience his love and while we celebrate him coming for that reason, it can feel like a time where we feel less loved and less valued. So this morning, just as we finish up, I want to give you permission. Not that you need my permission, and actually you already have God's permission, but I think some people maybe need to give themselves permission to accept God's love, to accept the fact that they belong to a family, and to even maybe give themselves permission to believe again for whatever it is that you've been wrestling with God for, whatever it is that you have been asking God for or seeking God for. And so I'm just going to pray as we finish. And if you would like someone to pray with you, there's people around to do that as well. So um, yeah, let's pray. Father, thank you that you came to dwell among us. That you came to be in our hearts and in our lives so that we would know deeply and truly who we are because of who you are. That we would know that we are loved. Father, this morning I just ask that you would fill us with your love. That for people who feel um, that this time is hard because of family situations, because of just whatever's going on in their life, that as others are gathering with family, that they feel isolated and lonely. Father, would you overwhelm them with your love? 
Would you overwhelm them with a sense of belonging, knowing that they are your child and that they are part of your family? And God, in those moments where we do feel lonely, where we do feel isolated, would you fill us afresh with a sense of you dwelling among us, that Jesus is here among us, that you are here among us and that you love us dearly. And for those of us who feel like we need to or feel a bit lost with what we've been praying for, that we've not been seeing the answers or that we've not been seeing the fruit of what it is that we've been working hard for. Father, would you restore this belief and the faith that we need? Would you restore the strength to continue digging those wells to go deeper? Would you continue to fill us afresh with your spirit, empower us as we... uh, seek you and and that as we stand on the truth of who you say we are the stand on the truth of your promises the words that you've declared over us father would you bring those afresh to the minds of those who are maybe doubting that you spoke to them at all would you remind them that they are your son and that your daughter and that they are truly loved by you so yeah god we just thank you for this time and we ask that you would bless us this morning Continue to speak to us, Father, we love you. And we ask all these things in the name of your son, Jesus, who came to dwell among us, that we might know you more. In his name, amen.